results from the Mana Drain Open and the post-Innistrad metagame on Episode 9 of So Many Insane Plays. Welcome to Episode 9 of So Many Insane Plays. I'm Kevin Crone with Stephen Menendian. Hey folks. On this episode, we're going to discuss all the fallout from the Mana Drain Open 15, which we recently returned from, and in which Steve and I both made top eight with different decks. A.K.A. the Waterberry. A.K.A. the Waterberry, which we pitched in prior episodes, and it was a great event. (laughs) We had a great time. (laughs) Yeah. So, as always, as we go through the show, if you have any comments or questions, please tweet us at ManyInsanePlays on Twitter. Or email us at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com. First up, let's start with some announcements. Steve, what do you got for us? So, uh, if you live in the Ohio, Western Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Michigan, or Indiana area, you should come October 23rd to the Mean Deck Open in Columbus, Ohio. The specifics can be found on the Manadrain Tournament Announcements Forum, but it's in Columbus, Ohio on the 23rd. If you can't find it, uh, contact us through our email account or preferably Twitter. We're faster in responding on Twitter, and we'll give you the link for the details. But it's going to be unlimited proxy, so if you're thinking about playing vintage and you live in the area but you haven't really wanted to test it out because you don't have the cards or you're afraid of the expense, this is a perfect opportunity. There'll be a bunch of people out there. The environment will be friendly, Mm -hmm. and and, uh, it'll be a great tournament. It'll be uh, a cut to top eight. I think the tournament will start uh, at one, and the registration begins at noon. And we usually roll out of there around seven, eight, wouldn't you say? Yeah, the event doesn't run that long. It's always a good time. Lots of uh, good times and good people. And if you feel like hanging around, you can join us at Thurman's, which, oh, Thurman's man. Cafe, which is a, a local hotspot. Um, so good, the burgers. The burgers are enormous. They were featured on, uh, I think, TLC, I like, I don't know. visiting you know famous hotspots around America. Yeah. Also, um, another announcement, if you want to see my Doomsday Primer or my report, which will be up by the time this airs um, from the Manadrain Open, you can download that from eternalcentral.com. So, our announcements have everything to do with the evolving vintage metagame, the post-Innistrad metagame, which we just got a a powerful dose of this past weekend (laughs) out in Connecticut. So, we have lots of topics today that are primarily driven out of this event. Right. We've been building up to this in a lot of ways. Our our Innistrad set review, the unrestriction of factor fiction, Mm -hmm. talking about Snapcaster Mage, talking about recent tournament performance... We got tons of things but, to but talk all, about. But more than that, we also have a broader view. I mean, we've been doing pretty much nonstop vintage testing and playing right. for more, you know, more tense period of time than we've done in years. And right. I mean, basically, we we went from vintage championship to team serious open mm-hmm. to this, you know, in in three short months. And it was dynamic, and we learned a lot. And yeah. I think we were pretty well prepared for this event, Very all well. things considered. So, let's start, I guess, at the top. With the victor, which was Dredge. <laughs> Dredge wins again. Yeah. And this Dredge list is only a few cards different from Mark Horning's Vintage Championship list. Mm-hmm. This Dredge list has main deck Ancient Grudge. He moved two of them into the main, which who knows how much that helped, because unfortunately I didn't get to watch games one and two of the finals. 
but the finals was against shops, so perhaps the main deck Ancient Grudge made a difference in game one. Although I find that what do you think he's targeting? Relics and in nails, spell bombs, and Tormod scripts, or something else? You know, I really can't be sure. I was. I think he's just hedging against shops. It's probably just a, a statement about shops being the worst possible matchup hmm. that he expects in that metagame. Interesting. I'm not sure. If that I mean, makes it, sense to me, but. there isn't that much main deck spell bomb or Tormod's crypt to really say that that's a primary target. Maybe, Perhaps he's just trying to get an advantage against Time Vault. That's what, that was where I was going to go. Maybe they've seen, these dredge players have maybe seen enough games stolen by early Time Vaults, even yeah. in game one. Or even a Tinker. Yeah. Like, blast well, out the artifact before they can Tinker. Yeah, just slow him down by just that much. Mm-hmm. Well, at any rate, he won, and he beat Shops on the way to it, so, and he beat, mm-hmm. I think, apparently two decks that featured Time Vault in the top eight, so, right. so who knows, maybe that made a big, a big difference for him. Brian DeMars is calling Dredge the new mud. I'm not exactly sure what he means by that. But I think his, I think from his perspective, he's sort of saying, so the, the vintage blue decks, and there's the, the not we call them the colorless deck, right? And and dredge is the new colorless deck that's dominant. That you like what mud was last year, for uh, for the prior two years approximately, we've always listed blue decks at the top, and then workshop decks second, and then other basically being third. And dredge was the up and coming other deck, right? But it never overtook workshop. Well, since golem was printed last year, mud was just really dominant. Oh yeah. But I think, walking around the room out at the Waterbury, that Dredge, I don't have the data to support it, but observationally, Dredge was even footing with workshops in the metagame. You think so? Yes, yeah. I do. My, Possible. My instincts I don't really think they were that much of either. I mean, they were, they were non-trivial, but I don't right. think they were... Well, they're both, but they're both hovering in the 10 to 15% right. range. But they're both on equal footing, and I think Brian gotcha. is right. If you need to pick one to beat, it's starting to turn the corner where you need to pick Dredge to beat. Right. And... And people's sideboards here really demonstrate that, but that's another topic that we'll get to in a minute. (laughs) So Dredge takes first over the second place deck, which is a very interesting mud deck with Moon Man. So so Rich had Red. Rich played the exact same deck last year's Waterbury. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's almost card for card, because I was looking at it, and his his deck last year... Well, well, it can't be because he has Slash Panther, but he did have four Magus of the Moons last year. And Magus of the Moon gets stronger in a Gush environment. Absolutely. So his deck is four Magus of the Moon, four Lodestone Golem, three Slash Panther, one Solemn Simulacrum, three Welder, four Phyrexian Metamorph, four Thorn of Amethyst, two Sphere of Resistance, one Trinisphere, four Tanglewire, four Main Deck Lightning Bolt, and then a bunch of mana. Very, very interesting. Four Main Deck Lightning Bolts. So his deck has obviously been updated because there's a lot of a lot of Scars of Mirrodin printings in here. He said that the Lightning Bolts were going to be his tech, and he showed them to me like, very proudly, you know, he's like, <laughs> these lightning bolts. And I said, well, that actually would have been good against me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but he had, um, I mean, maybe he was thinking, I need to kill Bob, certainly Chase. Cobras. Cobras, great against Cobra. It's good in the mirror. I mean, Cobra an- annihilates his deck, because Magus of the Moon becomes irrelevant if you have a Cobra. Right. I mean, you can pretty much, I mean, not irrelevant. But you can circumvent it entirely. Exactly. So, the, the lightning bolts, pretty good technology, even most of the blue decks, even in this top eight, have it also at least camp. at least one four of creature right that's important that four of creature right so the rest of the top eight then is blue decks for lack of a better word and one of the topics that we've been <laughs> one of the topics so the first and second place deck are yeah are shops and colorless decks <laughs> actually a red deck now that i think yeah about it. and then the rest of the, de- the top eight is blue decks 
But as we've touched on in many other podcasts before this one, Strategic it's very diversity. diverse. Strategic diversity. I mean, we, These are legitimately six different blue decks. Right. Very different. Oath to Doomsday. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just run through the list. Okay. From, from three down to eight. Oath, Tez, Bob Tendrils, Doomsday, Snapcaster Control, and Bob Jace with Snapcasters. Control. Control. And the Tez deck, we basically mean Knight's Whisperer with Time Vault combo. Yeah, I called it a Tez deck, but it only has one Tezzeret. Its, it's draw engine is basically Knight's Whisperer, it appears. No no creatures, aside from... Is there even a Blightsteel in that deck? No, but he has a no, Factor Fiction main deck and a Factor Fiction in the sideboard. Yeah. Which is strange. It does have... No, hold on. No, not, oh, sorry, not in the sideboard. You got it separate. Just, yeah, I've got it separate. Just one fact in the main deck. So, God, where do we begin here? Six different decks... Oath is something of a known quantity. This list is not does not have any breakthrough technology that this I can see. This is the Iona Oath from last year. The creature base is Iona, Blightsteel, Terastodon. He has a, one Beast Within, one He Noxious does have Revival. Mana Drains, which is unusual. He has Thoughtseize, two Spell Pierce, three Mana Drain, and four Force, and he's three Thoughtseize. And his draw engine appears to be two Jace the Mind Sculptor, Gifts, and that's it. He has Time Vault Key, though. He has Key Vault, yep. But no inherent way to get them back, and I don't. He has Noxious Revival, but I don't even see um, the new blue card from Innistrad. I and really he, forgot the forgot the title of it. Uh, uh, the new Memories Journey. Memories Journey. Thank you. He doesn't have Memories Journey because that deck doesn't use it, but he does have Beast Within. Right. Which is some good, yeah. some good old technology. So fourth place is Clark. I I faced Clark, and he's got a very controlling list. Knight's Whisper is an unusual card advantage engine, but I mean, it's in many ways it can can be superior to Bob because it gets you the advantage now. Right. He's got mana drains, two main deck rebs, one negate, which is pretty unusual. Mm-hmm. Key vault, one tezzeret, uh, a couple of thought seizes, and some bounce. I was, I, he probably was thinking, you know, would you rather have two mana drains in hand or a drain in the gate? Yeah. Uh, Clark's deck is noteworthy in that it is the only deck in the top eight, top eight that features factor fiction, and he has but one. It's still restricted. <laughs> Very interesting that he chose one factor fiction there to go with his one gift. All right, looking at the bottom half of the bracket, Bob Tendrils. This Mike, is old Mike school. Egan's deck. It's, it's Dark Rituals, Forces he, Duress. He even has one Cabal Ritual. Sensei's Divining Top times one. He Mind's does have, Desire. He has three Mental Misstep. Mm-hmm. But he's got the Necropotence, Time Twister, Mind's Desire. Draw engines. So the primary update here is mental misstep. Mm-hmm. All right. Next up, we have Steve with Doomsday, and we could say a lot about this deck. The most noteworthy features, in my opinion, are the Maniac Kill, the lack of Dark Rituals, and the very, very potent Disruption Package. The density of Disruption. Featuring Force of Will, Preordain, Thought Seize, Flusterstorm, Spell Pierce, Mental misstep. And duress. And an extra duress. Uh, what'd you say, Steve? 17 disruption? Mm-hmm. Very, very, very powerful disruption package. And how would you characterize the efficacy of that disruption package in this event? <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you can demolish blue-playing opponents. Right. Yeah. All right, next deck is mine in the Snapcaster Control Arena. This is one that Brian DeMars and I brewed up the night before. Focusing on four Snapcasters and Mana Drains, in this case three. A variety of Silver Bullets, two Spell Bombs, Fire Ice, Echoing Truth, Ancient Grudge, 
and I opted to go with two Jace the Mind Sculptor. Brian opted to go with what did, did he play we, one I, Jace, <laughs> one and, Jace, and, and two Fact. Paul and I convinced him to play two Fact. Right. Which, Which I kept saying to him, you've got to test the fact and know, you know, and he <laughs> well, didn't have time to test. He wasn't pleased with it by the end of the event. Right. I opted for Jace because this deck has Blightsteel Colossus and Key Vault, and I found that the hand-fixing aspects of Jace were more beneficial than the raw card advantage of Factor Fiction. And four Snapcasters on my list was not enough. I would play 13 of that card if they let me. <laughs> wow. He was very, very good. I really enjoyed but, playing But the, the key innovation, one of the key innovations besides in your deck was Riptide Laboratory. Yeah. To recur Snapcaster Mage. We're going to talk about Snapcaster more, so we'll do that in a minute. Right. But the other key innovation, I think, is Nihil Spellbomb's main deck mm-hmm. times two. And this is something I got from Brian. That is to say, he was very, very much in pushing Nihil Spellbomb's and... I tested it out, and I really did like the advantage it provided, both as main deck hate for dredge, which is nice, but also just cutting off some strategic options for your blue-playing opponents. So many games come down to fighting over, or the goal being to be the first to Yawgmoth's will, Mm -hmm. and the Spellbomb's basically free ability to crypt them is uh, just so useful. So, I mean, in terms of the path to victory here, what route did dredge take? And how soft... Oh, sorry. Go sorry, ahead. We, we're missing the last deck. Go ahead. Andy Farius's Bob Jace deck that has Snapcasters. He's got right. four Confidants, three Snapcasters, two Clicks, and one Jace. And he has a strange mix of disruption. We don't need to talk anymore about that. So the route, <laughs> to, the route to victory here was a little, a little strange. So the Dredge player first faced Andy. Who ended up in eighth place with his Bob Jace deck. And then he faced the Oath deck. And then he faced the Oath deck, which and, defeated me. And then he faced the Mud deck, the mm-hmm. Mono Red Mud. Um, and what's interesting, I think, we surprised me is that the sideboards were pretty much pretty strong in terms of anti dredge. Every single player had at least six dedicated dredge cards, except, except for the first round opponent <laughs> that he faced, which only had five, and they were probably the weakest configuration. It was one ley line, which is completely random. It's like a tutor target ley line. <sighs> It's very strange. He's one not playing with rituals, so he one, can't expect to be able to cast it. Right. Here. One ley line, one extra paid, and three Yixla Jailer. So he, I mean, that was certainly the easiest matchup for the Dredge player. But then the Dredge player had to face the Oath deck, which had four ley line, one Tormod script, one Relic. And then the Workshop deck, which had four ley line and two Tormod script. So, so he, how, he faced five, and then six, and then six hate cards, basically. And he, he beat all three, which I think is really impressive. Yeah. Now, granted, the Oath deck... You know, his disruption maybe isn't as very strong or strong enough to protect, you know, the ley lines. Maybe he didn't mulligan to a ley line. Maybe he had a mistake. Um, the Oath deck... Hold, hold on just a second, Steve. The Andy Farius is playing two mental missteps. Right. He has, and, he has two... The Oath player has just three drains, two spell pierce, and three thoughts. And he has no mental missteps. No mental missteps. And as we're going to discuss, mental misstep was very popular in this event. But I think mental misstep is very important post-sideboard. Right. Especially if you're playing ley line. To protect your ley line from the their draw. nature's claim. On, on the, the draw. draw. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. That's a huge dynamic. I want to get to that when we talk about mental yeah. misstep. So the, the the dredge player faced all of two mental missteps in three rounds right. to go with those sideboard cards. Right. And then he he beat Rich Mice, which I'm completely puzzled by, unless Rich just did not fail to mulligan into the ley line. 
Well, I like I said, I did not see games one and two, but I can tell you that Rich's hand in game three did was, not have was not good. It did not have Leyline. It did not have Leyline, and he was reliant entirely, basically, on Wasteland and Sphere effects to win that, that game. That just doesn't win against Red. It is not reliable enough, especially on the draw. You've on the play, to... on the play, you can at least cut them off from playing spells for a while with turn one Sphere. I would, but... I would only keep a hand that has Tormod's Crypt or Leyline. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's got Welder, so Tormod's Crypt can go forever. Yeah. I mean, and he's got, I don't know why he wouldn't mulligan into that. Well. And if you have Goblin Welder, wouldn't you consider even more Tormod's Crypt? I mean, Tormod's Crypt might just be better than Leyline if you have Goblin Welder. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I would very much like to ask Rich about, game, especially Game 3 of that. If you're playing Goblin Welder, I would play Tormod's Crypt all day. It's like, there's definitely Merry a, Christmas. In a Goblin Welder-based deck, there's definitely a case to be made for your your dredge sideboard being can, can six be, artifacts that cost one or less. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Between you needles and crypts and Nile spell bombs, possibly, or, yeah. or relics, all of those things. Well, relic combined. removes itself. You're right, you can't use relic. Between There's needles and crypts... There's another one you can use. You can use... Um, oh, there, well, there are several variants. Nihil spell bomb, for yeah. sure. And if you have any access to black, which in this case it doesn't, but... It doesn't matter. But at any rate, yeah. you make a very good point. The presence of welders in his deck suggests he probably should have a heavier artifact sideboard for Dredge. Really puzzling. Yeah. In any case, Dredge wins again, yep. so it is accorded due respect. I, I probably think... I think that the, his worst matchup is probably my deck. Because my deck has... My deck has the six anti-Dredge cards, but I have four Mental Misstep, Flusher Storm, Spell Pierce, Thought Seize, and Force. Yeah. And I have a, a potentially fast kill. I think I agree. Your deck is probably the worst matchup in the top eight due to the combination of disruption and sideboard cards. But then again, my deck also cheats. You have two nail spell on main deck. Yeah, my and deck you also have cheats. Surgical extraction with with snapcaster mages. I'd like to comment briefly on that. I chose surgical extraction out of the sideboard instead of leyline due to the combination with snapcaster mage. I'm counting on if I draw one extraction, I'm going to get to use it two times. Which and may be enough, but it might not. It might not be, but I also have three artifacts. You have Nail Spellbomb and Tormod. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so in total, you would say that I have seven sideboard cards, but they are of a different configuration, and I actually functionally use Snapcaster Mage as a sideboard card as well. So you tallied up the counter magic configurations in the top eight, and what did you discover? Very interesting results. The counter magic portfolio for Vintage is shifting. Obviously, Force of Will. So, so in All 2010, of... it shifted very hard to Spell Pierce and Force of Will. Right. And away from Mana Drain. Right. And then towards the end of the year, it shifted back to Force of Will and Mana Drain. Where are we now? Right now, Force of Will is omnipresent. It is a four of in every blue deck. So that's a given. So there was only... There's only 24. There were 24 out of a possible 24. No, of 20, as a possible 32. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. I wasn't counting. You're right. <clears throat> The second place counterspell in all of these lists is Mental Misstep. Hmm. At 12, half as many as Force of Will. The third place is Mana Drain at 11. So there are so many interesting inter- interleaving concepts here. Mana Drain is still basically the default second counterspell after you get past the free counterspells. <laughs> so Mental Misstep is just rapidly approaching that might Force be of changing, Will. Though. Yeah, it could be, but it's rapidly shifting into the Force of Will category Agreed. where you just play free counterspells. It's an automatic. Now, who played four Mental Missteps? Only you. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Only your Doomsday deck has four Mental Missteps. 
other there are a few other decks that have three in a couple. I do, of I do want to talk. Uh, should we finish talking? Let's talk about this. Well, let me one. finish out the list yeah. then. So twenty four force, twelve missteps, eleven drains. Next up is Flusterstorm at nine. Mm-hmm. Flusterstorm put almost as many copies as Mana Drain in this top eight, mm-hmm. which is also another fascinating trend. Then Red Elemental Blast at six and Spell Pierce at six. Spell Pierce at tied with a. A historically sideboard Red Elemental Blast. Right. Spell Pierce is way down, but you got to believe that Flusterstorm and Mental Misstep are just stealing votes. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think that the other three are trending down. Flusterstorm and Mental Misstep are trending up. Right. But we did also see half of the Red Elemental Blasts in this top eight were in the main. Three Which out of the six enough. were main deck. Let's talk about that in our counter in, in our roundup here. But I, I think that the main thing to say here is that for the first time, really, in the history of the format. Every blue player has to be has a tremendous selection of counter spells to, to choose from. Because all, all of like, these counter spells are like, high quality. It used to be the the, the case like you if you're playing like duress effects, you have to choose between duress and thoughtseize or whatever. Right. Or now it used to be like if you want to play counter spells, you choose like force of will, misdirection, mana drain, and maybe like mana leak. Right. Now you have like Pro- ten- prohibit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you have so many options. I mean, in in basically. I think we're just going to continue to see the diversity of options because different counter spells will be different in different decks. Right. Will be better in different decks. I mean, and, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, to support what you just said, half of this list, Force of Will, Mana Drain, and Red Elemental Blast, those are cards that were in print by 1997. The other have all been in the last 12 months. Right. Or, uh, or, or I mean, uh, two years, no, going back Spell Pierce. Well, I'm adding, I mean... A third of that list, Mental Misstep and Flusterstorm, have appeared in the last six months. Right. So, so, so exactly. In these two cards, and Flusterstorm are brand new. I think it's fair to Spell say. Pierce is still my new. My conclusion is that Mental Misstep feels like a force of will now. It's a card that's going to be around forever. Yeah. And I heavily agree. played. And I think Flusterstorm is probably the same. Like, Flusterstorm is just here to stay. I, I have the sneaking suspicion that in another year or two, all of these blue decks are going to start with four forces and four missteps. <laughs> and we're going to look back at the time when we didn't play four missteps as ancient history. <laughs> So yeah, so it'll be like like we look at like the four brainstorm era now, right? And we just shake our heads. So let's 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 start, let's start talking about these individually. Let's uh, let's start with mental misstep. I think it's on our list first, hopefully. Well, it's on the list. So we go to Taki. We talked to blue deck diversity. Yeah, next okay, up. So let's start, start with mental misstep. misstep. Mental misstep is a card that when it came out, I was like not very excited about. It was too narrow. You, thought. I very was very excited about Flusterstorm. Yeah, we talked about that. In our, oh yeah, in our in podcast episode our, two episode well, you know, of our podcast. We talked extensively about Flusterstorm, but Mental Misstep I thought was too narrow simply because there aren't enough cards to target. So it's like if you look at the list of the most played vintage cards, there's a really a small fraction of cards that that Mental Misstep even hits. But more critically, there's only a small fraction of those that you would want to, you would seemingly want to trade one for one for. Like right. you wouldn't want a spell pierce or a mana drain, you know, the vast majority of the one casting cost spells. Right. So why would mental misstep be good? I think that the best illustration of why mental misstep is good is my doomsday deck. <laughs> I mean, it just it it just purely points it out. I mean, every time I opened a hand that had mental misstep in my doomsday deck, I was like, I feel safe. You yeah, know, it's like it's a it's a like a nice warm it's like blanket. Warm blanket. I was just gonna say that <laughs> it's a comfortable thing, and the reason is because it turns out. So, just to add to the theory of why why mental misstep wouldn't be good, you it, it's too narrow in terms of the, the number of cards it hits. Also, it 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 doesn't hit important important enough cards because the one casting cost spells aside from ancestral really aren't that important to hit. Right. I mean, not even fast bond is that important. Despite how fast vintage is, the one casting cost spells are all very structural. They're not right. 
Like, Fast Bond is a card that you could hit, and they had not, no gushes, and they just say draw go. Right. Or they might have two gushes, and you you know, you did the right thing. High variance. It's though. a high variance. And I think that's ultimately the main criticism that I had of Mental Misstep, which is that it appeared when people started playing Mental Misstep, they were aggressively hitting preordains. Yeah. And it's like, well, is that good? Doesn't that just punish variance? Like, if your opponent, if your opponent, you know, plays preordained, and they have a, ha- a land heavy or a land light hand and you mental misstep it, that's good. But what if the vast majority of the time? I think that it's, it's, it's punishing bad players who get stuck in situations that they can't get themselves out of or, or, ver- or high-variance hands. What I think we've discovered is that's not the case. That, For example, in the Doomsday deck, you mental misstep the preordain because the tempo effect. You hit the card one for one, which is great. They don't find the cards they need. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you combo out, they haven't developed sufficiently. So it's right. just, you're just... Basically, you want to counter a period in one for one mm-hmm. because you you basically have for no mana and two life, you've taken away the best card in their top three. Yeah. Well, I agree completely. I mean, it was deceptive the first time yeah. we looked at it and thought we we did a very clear analysis of right. what cards you could counter, as you said, right. and they they broke out into this list of things that you would never mana drain per se. You would never. Spend a spell pierce on preordain. I mean, within reason. You you weren't excited about doing those things, right? And we just kind of put ancestral recall at the top of the list, and fast bond, and occasionally soul ring. And as we evaluated this list of cards that could hit, we just ended up with a conclusion that it was far too narrow. The list was far too short, and it would be basically dead in your hand, or such that if your opponent played turn one soul ring, you would say, "Why am I countering this exactly? Right. It doesn't." It doesn't fit into my plan, that kind of thing. And yet thing. the card is incredibly robust and, right. and, and unbelievably aggressive. And I think it, it, it inherently I mean, is tied to the know, other trend we've already been discussing about the counter spells, though. I think that part of it is we just overestimated the importance of the abstract theory of countering one from one and mm-hmm. underestimated the, the importance of development and tempo in the format. Right. Such that, right. I, mean, I mean, neither one of us would hesitate to, to mental misstep a brainstorm. But the fact that we would consider, like, why preordain, I think illustrates both the strength of those cards, and those cards have illustrated those, have demonstrated those strengths in other formats with mass bannings. I mean, every yeah. single one of those one casting cost blue spells has been banned in in what in modern, yeah, in legacy. In, uh, well, not not banned in legacy, but but in extended, in extended, yeah. In mental misstep is now banned in, in legacy, in legacy and extended and modern, modern, yeah, <laughs> which shows you <laughs> it's only legal in this format. I think also there's a, a a reinforcing feedback loop that is the stronger mental misstep gets, the more likely you want to have it. Right. So when I play ancestral recall, you feel great about having mental missteps in your hand because you're going to be able to protect it. Right. Oh yeah, the the recall misstep misstep stack is a very common stack in the format now. Absolutely. Which is insane. Yeah. <laughs> and it's 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 like you you can't afford to force their mental misstep, but you have to. Yeah. So now now you're in a position where you need to protect your ancestral recall. And also I think maybe we slightly underestimated the centrality of the ways in which find people find and accelerate out with ancestral recall. Yeah. Such that mental, I mean, maybe slightly, you know, maybe, just maybe, just maybe. It just, I, it, I think it, it all adds. It all adds. It's, it's cumulative. Additive. So this card is is going to be everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think, like, if you really want to see the strength, the theoretical understanding of, of of mental misstep, the Doomsday deck is probably the best single paradigm. Well, 
You know, I would challenge that only to say that the Snapcaster decks also <laughs> make maximal use of mental misstep. Did you play four though? I played three. See there, you but go. I also had main deck Reb and Flusterstorm, so it was a it was a space issue. But I also had main deck Flusterstorm and Thoughtseize yeah, and well, and Spell Pierce. My deck also, unfortunately had to make room for a few more answers <laughs> to things than yours did. Right, <laughs> but I, I think that's a fair point. I mean, Snapcaster Mage makes great use of mental misstep. Both decks demonstrate the the card in slightly different ways. Right. I mean, the, the Doomsday deck is definitely accelerating to a lethal kill. Mm-hmm. And its kill actually features Ancestral Recall, which makes Mental Misstep. Right. <laughs> even How more, ironic. Important. <laughs> important to stopping the opponent's Mental Misstep. So, Mental Misstep is here to stay. Our sense is that it's going to be... I mean, decks are going to start, you know, yeah. four Force of Will, four Mental Misstep. In the four, future. Yeah. And further to that note, then, let's talk about Flusterstorm. Right. I think in addition to what an Mental Misstep... Card. This this particular event was definitely a coming out party for Flusterstorm. Maybe Without nine of them question. in the top eight. Nine of them everywhere. You and I played a main deck. Well, when the the night before, was it the day before, I had, had four spell pierces. Right. And I was slowly going back to Flusterstorm and I could I ended up with a, a, a split of two spell pierce and two Flusterstorm. If I had to do it over, I would have three Flusterstorms. Yeah. And zero spell pierce. <laughs> Um, Flusterstorm is just phenomenal, and and I think our original podcast, our podcast episode two, hit on all the important ways except one, which I'll get to in a second. <laughs> I think everything we said in that cast has definitely proven true. I mean, yeah, the card, it just took six months. So. Yeah, that's true. The card has obvious applications in stopping storm, but that seems to be the last thing I use it for re- lately. I, mean, I haven't countered a tendrils with it yet, really, in a tournament setting. The thing you use it for is just that 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 tempo and or card advantage opportunity against your opponent doubling up on certain stacks and just blowing them out with uncounterable or unrespondable situations. Right. There are many occasions when the only possible way they can get beat your Flusterstorm is with one of their own. That is absolutely true. Um, I think that, uh, I think that, uh, I think there is a real danger. If you don't play Flusterstorm, you'll get blown out by other Flusterstorms. Yeah. Exactly. Let me give you a, a, a couple examples. So in the tournament, in the, in the tournament, I was playing our friend Theo, and he started off. I, actually, I announced a Vampiric Tutor. <laughs> this is turn three or four, right? You yes. both had some mana to play with. This is turn three or four. I knew he had two mana drains in his hand. And oh, I had flus- I had Flusterstorm. <laughs> so he started. I started out with Vampiric Tutor, and I had Gush in hand and Ancestral Recall, which I had tutored for the Ancestral. Oh, so geez. my intent here was to get fast bond. Uh-huh. So I announce Vampiric Tutor, and he responds by announcing Snapcaster Mage, which I can't counter with Flusterstorm. So I'm like, that's fine. Uh-huh. So he goes um, brainstorm, <laughs> <laughs> and in response, I play Gush, and he goes Mana Drain, and then I respond, <laughs> I respond with Ancestral Recall, and he goes, <laughs> he goes. Mana drain, and I respond with force of will, oh, and he goes force of will, <laughs> and I. Ta- At this I, point, you've paid two mana. I pay two mana, and I play Flusterstorm for nine copies, <laughs> and I distribute it. I distribute three on all all of his spells. All of his counter spells, at least. Yes, yeah. and I ca- and his brainstorm. Oh, and his brainstorm, right? Yes. So, so you three for one, dim. <laughs> I resolved. I resolved ancestral and vamp. Suffice to say, I won that turn. Yeah, (laughs) that turn. (laughs) But but I think there's there's something else. Fluster storm change changes the decision trees in Magic, and I'll give you another good example. Suppose your opponent, and this goes to the to the um, original podcast we had, which is one of the questions is, 
Is Fluster Storm stronger in, in being reactive or proactive? Mm-hmm. One of the things we said is that if you counter a spell like Tinker or Ancestral or Time Walk, you really counter it, which is mm-hmm. great. But what happens if someone plays Tinker and you have Fluster Storm, but you decide you're not going to do anything about it because you have Hercules Recall in your hand? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This becomes very tricky. Right. Because if your opponent has Fluster Storm, <laughs> they can counter your Hercules Recall. Uh-huh. So answers become tricky. You have to account for the kinds of counterspells your opponent might have in ways mm-hmm. that you wouldn't have to before. It, you're right. The the decision trees, especially with the list of counter magic that we just came up with, between right. Spell Pierce, which you can play around with mana, right. Reb, which you can play around, well, not really very well, but with non-blue spells, I suppose, mm-hmm. Mental Misstep, which you can play around clearly with which spell selection you've got, and now Fluster Storm, you can play around with just by timing, when in yeah. a stack you, you deploy it, the combination of those four cards, uh, n- to say nothing of Force of Will and Mana Drain, obviously... The format becomes more complicated. It's the more decision complex. trees in counter, in counter battles are just unbelievable. And I had I faced a situation in, in testing where my opponent goes Tinker. And I'm like, I don't care because I have Force of Will, multiple mental misstep, and Hercules Recall in my hand. Mm-hmm. And I go to Hercules Recall, and he has Flusterstorm, and I'm toast. I'm dead. Yeah. And I lose. You know, so, like, it really changes the evaluation of cards that you have. If your opponent, I mean, it, it's going to make things subtly stronger, and that's why it's so strong in the Doomsday deck, because, like, your opponent, you know, is going to try and do that one critical thing, and then you're mm-hmm. going to have the Fluster Storm to blow him out. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about something like uh, a Necropotence. Like, you play Necropotence, and you draw a Fluster Storm with it, you know, and then you go to play a key spell. Your opponent is just toast, regardless of the amount of counter spells they might have. Of course, mm-hmm. they would try and counter Necropotence. But the point <laughs> is that there are other cards that can really power up the Fluster Storm. Right, right. And I think you're only going to see more, just like Mental Misstep, I think you're only going to see more Fluster Storm now, especially with the advent of Snapcaster Mage. These counter spells we're discussing right. have Fluster all this Storm, synergy with Snapcaster. I actually think Fluster Storm gets stronger with Snapcaster Mage than Mental Misstep does. If you think Mental Misstep gets good with Snapcaster Mage, I think Fluster Storm gets ridiculous with it. Well, just do the math. I mean, if your opponent plays their Tinker and you've used a Snap, uh, sorry, a Fluster Storm earlier, and you play Snapcaster Mage and then Fluster Storm. The synergy is incredible. You just get to up the storm count by one more. <laughs> now you've got a mana leak, but it's divided into three copies, which makes it that much it harder makes to deal with. Snapcaster Mage like an uncounterable counter, in a sense. Like, if it hits, then it's very frustrating to deal with. Now, I, I think that one of the things that, that I had decided coming into this tournament, actually after Minutes Champs, was that every deck I played, henceforth, was going to have main deck red blasts. <laughs> I think you might have been the only person I told that. Yeah. Like, after Minutes Champs, I was like... There's gush decks everywhere, and here's the logic. Rich Shea and a whole bunch of other people can play four main deck mental misstep. Mm-hmm. Those things are bricks against workshops. Yep. If they can play mental missteps main deck, I can play red elemental blast main deck and have very little consequence. Right. If anything, I mean, people can say, well, mental misstep counters soul ring against workshops. Red elemental blast counters Phyrexian metamorph. <laughs> <laughs> mental, red elemental blast is just a card you want main deck in a gush metagame. Mm-hmm. And so at the Sandusky tournament where I played Lotus Cobra decks, I had two Red Elemental Blast main deck. Mm-hmm. And people all over the management, even our team forums, were like, how did you play get away with main deck Red Elemental Blast? Yep. It blows my mind that people would ask that question, but they don't ask the corollary question, which is, how can you have main deck mental misstep? You know, it's like, right. it, why is there some sort of cognitive dissonance when people are like, wait a second, you have main deck Red Elemental Blast in your Cobra deck, but... <laughs> No one asked that question about main deck mental misstep. Why is that? 
I think that it doesn't make sense to me. The, bo- the bottom line is that you can play main deck at all mill blast. But here's the thing. I think Flusterstorm is just better. I mean, I think that Red Alma Blast is really good. Yeah, it counters Snapcaster Mage on the stack. It counters, kills Jaces, mm-hmm. and it counters Gushes. Mm-hmm. But Flusterstorm just seems to be trending so far up. I think it's replacing Red Elemental Blasts. I think so too. And also, ironically, Flusterstorm gets better the more mental missteps are played. Yeah. Ironically, because right. mental missteps tend to just clog up the stack, increase mm-hmm. the storm for the cheap. And Mental Misstep is not a good answer to Flusterstorm. Right, and Mental Misstep answers Red Blast. Right. So if you're trying to resolve your own Ancestral and your opponent is running Mental Missteps, you're much better off having Flusterstorms if you can time it properly because it's much harder for them to play around. Yeah. I think these Mental Misstep and Flusterstorm are going to be jockeying for position in the metagame for a long time to come. They, it, You know, it's... Well, all these be, cards are. I'll be very surprised if it's consistently. If there's consistently a deck that has four forces, four missteps, and four fluster storms. I think the one home I for mean, the red blast remains the cobra deck, which can generate red. It land drops. Right. But I think the big loser here is spell pierce. Yeah, spell pierce <laughs> is just outmoded at this point. <laughs> which is didn't really have much time. Well, yeah, flash <laughs> in the pan, I guess. <laughs> it's still good enough, and it made a modest showing with six in this top eight. But well, we chose spell pierce. Had been as champs over Flusterstorm and mm-hmm. frankly over Red Blast, maybe it's optimal in that kind of deck, but I wouldn't play that kind of deck again. I mean, right. it's just, I mean, in the Cobra deck, Red Blast is best, but I, I mean, today it just seems like, I mean, you and you and Brian had to decide between Red Blast and Flusterstorms, and ultimately, which card was stronger for you? Ultimately, I think Flusterstorm was stronger. I ended up with more Flusterstorms in my sideboard after testing. Uh, Red Elemental right. Blast is not bad, and I wanted some diversity there, and I wanted to be able to deal with Jace and some Snapcasters, but Flusterstorm was definitely more... What's the word I'm looking for? It was more of that warm blanket when you draw it in your hand <laughs> than Red Blast is. Agreed. Another card that I'd like to bring up just along these lines is Spell Snare. And the only reason I mention that is because now we have this log jam at one casting cost <laughs> counter spells, but in comes... Snapcaster Mage to improve the efficacy of these one-casting counter spells, and with Snapcaster Mage combined with Cobra and Bob and Oath and Mana Drain, there might be an opportunity for some Spell problem, Snare. To the enter. problem with Spell Snare is that it costs one. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're saying. <laughs> it's, hit, it's hit by mental misstep. Um, you know, it would be interesting if it was free. But oh, but on the flip side, though, Spell Snare is one of those one casting cost counters that is somewhat unique in that it's not dead against shops. Game one against shops, especially if you're on the play, and that's that's why Spell Pierce is is not completely inferior to these other options. Sure, sure, Spell it still has game one shops. Yeah, but none of these cards, Mental Misstep, Flusterstorm, and Red Blast, are all really really weak against shops, and so I think that speaks to the point that people are going to be diversifying. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just going to be like. Four, four, four. It's going to be like four, three, two, 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 one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's what you see in this top eight. Aside from your doomsday list, which has the most uniform threat base, there isn't a deck that has four mana drains. I don't think. I think the highest number of mana drains in this top eight three. is three. Let me see. Three, two, three, three. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So aside we from force of will, in there, you didn't put the negate in the pile. That's right. So aside from your deck. Force of Will is the only other four of Counterspell in this event. Maybe we should be comparing Thought Seizes. How many Thought Seizes do we see? Well, let's see. 
two in Andy's deck, two in the Tez deck, two in the sideboard of Bob Tendrils, four in your deck. That's it. Very few thoughts. So how many total? Main deck. One, two, three, four, and then your four, eight. So it would be tied for the. It would be the fourth. It would be the fifth most popular counterspell if yeah. you counted. It would be above Red Blast and Spell Pierce. And then let's look at Duress because oh. Bob Tendrils has three Duress. And I had a duress. with one more in the sideboard. So and you have a duress. duress. They're twelve. They're tied with Mental Misstep. Yeah, but they're only in two decks. So duress, but Thoughtseize is in others. It's in the yeah. oath deck. And anyway, so I think the bottom line is that we're going to see a lot of Mental Misstep. I was wrong about Mental Misstep. I mean, I, I thought it would see play. Mm-hmm. I had no doubt it would see play, but I, I did not anticipate that it would be this good. And it just contributes further to the this ever-growing diversity of the blue options in this right. format. We talked at length about the blue draw, draw options. options. Now you have more you have more draw options than ever and more counterspell options than ever. Right. Which is really exciting for the format. And this is a great time to be playing vintage. It really, really is. Although Brian DeMars laments how fast things appear because of mental misstep and flush of storm. But really it's just it's just aggressive early game nowadays. Yeah. I, I agree to some extent that the, the format feels like it's faster in that reg- regard because key and larger counter battles and jockeying for position happens earlier in the game now. <laughs> but at have, the same time... You have like five cards on the stack on turn one. Yeah. <laughs> it, and it happens. But at the same, by the same token, you have to have a long game. You have to have a plan for the long game because just as some games end very quickly in terms of the uh, literal or figurative winner, I saw many, many games go very late, which is one of the reasons why Brian was very excited about Riptide Lab. Right. All right, so we talked about the Counterspell Suite. Let's talk a little about Factor Fiction. Now, we said when we the Unrestriction came about that Factor Fiction is a very powerful card, powerful, excuse me, card, but that you have to play it in multiples for it to really maximize, and it's definitely competing with Jace and Gifts Ungiven and a few other things, and we kind of left it at that. Testing bore out, in my experience and yours, that Factor Fiction was simply too slow. And if you wanted to play a forecasting cost blue card that produced card advantage, Jace was still basically the way to go. I, I think that's right. And I think part of it is that, you know, n- not just the competition at the forecasting cost slot, but really the competition with other draw engines. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the one of the reasons to unrestrict factor fiction is the presence of the Gush metagame. You mm-hmm. know, it's like Gush is just so much faster and more aggressive as a draw engine. Mm-hmm. I think that, that these results and others like them bear that out. The factor fiction... And I think Factor Fiction is certainly hurt by the these these printings of, of faster counterspells. I mean, oh yeah, I mean, all if, the counterspells we just mentioned just dominate Factor Fiction. There's just no two ways about it. Even I mean, Spell Pierce just laughs at Factor Fiction. <laughs> well, Mental Misstep doesn't exactly laugh, but it creates an early game where Factor Fiction becomes dead weight. Right. You need the opportunity cost of running Factor Fiction is too high. And my experience was I had to pitch my Factor Fiction to Force of Will in order to compete in the early games right. when I was testing it. So Mental Misstep indirectly contributes, but right. Fluster Storm and these other cards make Factor Fiction weaker. And you can see by the draw engines, just to quickly run through them, Oath is effectively the blue draw engine for the Oath deck. Mm-hmm. Then you've got uh, Knight's Whispers, the primary draw engine in Clark's deck. Mike Egan was playing Bob in his Tendrils deck. You were playing Doomsday and Gush which are effectively zero and three mana cost draw engines. And then my deck has opted for the Jaces, but also has uh, Snapcasters, which are effectively card advantage cards in that slot. And then Andy's deck with Bob's and Snapcasters, and he went with Jace as well. Mm-hmm. So in almost every case, the solution is to play a cheaper card right. and, and manipulate the early game to your advantage with Disruption 
rather than plan on resolving a forecasting cost spell repeatedly. Right. Format's just too fast for that. Right. All right. I don't think we need to say too much more about fact. Let's go over then to Snapcaster. In this top eight, there were seven Snapcaster mages. Mm. Four in my deck, three in Andy's deck because he was playing bobs and clicks also. I was very, very pleased with how the card played out. The deck is constructed to give you numerous options by playing the missteps. What did you What did you flash back the most? I flashed back to mental misstep the most. Really? Yeah, yeah but mostly drain. because of... Yeah, more than drain. But mostly because of the speed aspect. What were you countering? That's one of the things I described to Brian when I was said I was so excited about mental misstep with Snapcaster. And one of the things we alluded to earlier was our initial valuation of mental misstep did not like the idea of countering preordains. And I agreed at the time, before Snapcaster was spoiled, that you want to save Snapcaster for more strategically important junctures in the right, game. You want, right. to, you want to be able to fight your opponent's Reb now or their can. Ancestral. And now you can. The Snapcaster Mage, you just burn that first target if you think it's advantageous. But if you have that Snapcaster, you get to come back and counter right. their Ancestral on turn one or two. Right. And it was just incredible. I mean, it's so much synergy with the deck. And so the most common flashback target was definitely Mental Misstep. But I did everything. I mean, the Flashback the Flusterstorm and the Rebs, especially after Sideboard. I flashbacked my <clears throat> Mystical Tutor to go find Tinker in one mid-game that won me the game. It, it, you know, it slices and dices. And I think the key thing about Andy's deck, he has three Snapcaster Mages, but I think he has similar options to me. He has Mental Misstep, he has Thoughtseize, he has Spell Pierce. Dark Confidant just seems so outmoded. He has a little <laughs> bit of a, well, a little bit of a logjam, though, in the creature category. Not that there's anything wrong with running the nine creatures he's got. Well, ten if you count Blightsteel. But his deck just did not maximize, I don't think, the Snapcaster Mage, which is probably why he only ran three. And in my list, then, there's Riptide Lab, which I have to give Brian credit for pushing that card so hard, because it really does win games. It has a very nominal cost to your mana base, if you build it right. It's like I a think, library. I think I did. Yeah, it's like a library. But when you get into situ- colorless, when you get in a situation there. in the late game where you have access to just one Snapcaster and a modest graveyard, maybe there's only two yeah. or three targets. You just in there. take over. You just take yeah, over. I just think I think the card is. I actually do think the card. I facetiously, someone facetiously said that I thought it was better than Library of Alexandria, but <laughs> it, it actually is better than Library of Alexandria. Library of Alexandria is better on turn one. One would think like Library would make cards like Mental Misstep better, but Library because you have to fight so hard in the early game. Right. Once you get the... I mean, Library of Alexandria isn't a card that you can play on turn 6 and wins the game. Right. That's what Riptide Lab does. Oh, yeah. It's you like, can, I'll play it on turn 5, and then I win. You like, can, you have no chance. You then. can basically come out of nowhere. And there were certain scenarios that I, I almost... <laughs> I didn't actually do it in the tournament because I chose a different line, but I almost vamp-tutored for Riptide Lab in one oh, game. wow. Because my hand was Why low. didn't you? Well... You can I, replay the vamp. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> I, I can, I'm sorry, I cannot recall the exact scenario, but I remember... Tutoring, and I remember pulling out the lab, and then thinking, "I would have." <laughs> this is. I remember thinking, "This might be too." He might have an answer for it right now. Is what I was thinking. Oh. If he has a certain card in his hand, it will make. Well, what answer is Riptide Lab? Well, he might have been sandbagging a reb or something. I don't know. The, the point was, it's good enough okay. that I considered vamping for it in the mid game, and in drawn. Would you even, consider playing two? Drawn in the mid game or the late game, it was just a bomb. Boy, if I could shave the colors of this deck down to three, I, I think you can. I, I don't think there's any reason to play Red Elmo Blast anymore. Well, based on our discussion, I think it's... But my sideboard would have to be rejiggered, too. You could definitely construct this deck without red and or green and you make the mana base two a little colors. better. You could. Well, you, you don't have fast bond. That's true. The point is green's only in here for sideboard cards and to flashback Ancient Grudge. 
it can be done. It's important to note too. My well, mana base you, you only can has do one a three city color. Of brass. Be fine. You could play green or red. I would play green. It's important to note that I only ran one city of brass. I definitely did not want to lose games to drawing three of those bad boys. How many did uh, Kevin did uh, Brian play? Brian played three, I think, hmm. maybe four. He had lists with four. I can't remember if he ended on four or three for the event. Uh, I was definitely not interested in drawing more than one city of brass, so I only ran one. It was not a problem. But if you were you to ran play Academy t- and he didn't, yeah. If you were to play Academy two Riptide really Labs, good. adding additional cities of brass to your deck to compensate would definitely <laughs> make a difference. It's kind of funny to say that Riptide Lab is a, now a vintage playable or vintage staple, but that's the environment we're in. <laughs> yeah, well, it's good in Legacy now too. It's for the same reason. So I think Riptide Lab is the real deal. It's not legendary, so you can run two. Right. And when you and your opponent, what happens get them, when you have Riptide Lab Wars? What happens? I have not been in that scenario yet, but I don't know. Oh, God. It could be that Wasteland or Strip Mine, I mean, starts making its way oh back into decks. Oh, my God. Strip Mine was played or back stifle, in the day to fight, uh, fight libraries, so very, very interesting stuff. I think Snapcaster Mage is here to stay. I think the next few months are going to feature jockeying amongst different Snapcaster <laughs> builds. It's not. I'm not saying it's going to take over, because right. your Doomsday deck is good. Right. These other Bob decks are still relevant. It's just, it's here to stay. Speaking of your Doomsday deck... Yes. Why don't we talk about that development? <laughs> so tell the people what you thought when you saw Laboratory Maniac and the Innistrad Subboiler. Well, when, when I saw Laboratory Maniac, I thought, no, there are very few cards that, that win the game. Mm-hmm. And this is the least conditional one. And the first card I thought of was Doomsday. What do you, what do you mean by the least conditional one? <laughs> we talked about this in our last podcast. <laughs> Battle Wits is pretty conditional. Yeah, it's pretty hard to make a good deck. I mean, people People were thinking, like, the the first thing I thought was, actually, the first thing I thought was Doomsday. Yeah. You know, and then someone said something about Demonic Consultation. I was like, dang, that mm-hmm. sounds good. But, I mean, I think, actually, the second thing, first thing I thought actually was Leveler. The second thing, <laughs> I, the second thing I thought was Doomsday. You know, I was thinking, what removes your deck? And right. then Doomsday is already, you know, has been a good... Doomsday was already a vintage deck. Right. It, it had its day. In the past, yeah. yeah. And this card. So talk about the strategic options that Maniac affords you when you're building and playing a Doomsday deck. Then, well, the key thing about about Laboratory Maniac is that it is the most resilient, flexible, and least conditional Doomsday kill ever. So typically, Doomsday decks have to do two things at once. They have to build to certain mana requirements within the Doomsday stack. Mm-hmm. And second, they have to build a certain storm requirements. So all the kills were like, all the kills have basically been tendrils or beacon beacon kills. Eventually, research and development for the but research and development you yeah. was into a tendrils kill. Right. So every single kill with Doomsday has been a storm kill. For the sake of those who are not playing Doomsday back then or have maybe never played it in Legacy, for example, well, Legacy is a totally different animal. But talk about the old vintage Doomsday stacks. What okay. the, the standard stacks? So the original like. the original Doomsday stack began with Ancestral Recall. So you, you, you Doomsday for five cards. The first card is Ancestral Recall. And you Ancestral Recall into Dark Ritual, a Black Lotus, and Mind's Desire. So you need two <laughs> mana for this. You, you, you know, for example, you can go turn one, Dark Ritual, Doomsday. Mm-hmm. Turn two, play land, Ancestral Recall, drawing Dark Ritual, Black Lotus, and Mind's Desire. Then you play Dark Ritual and the Black Lotus, Mind's Desire, for four storm, right? Because it's the Ancestral... Dark Ritual, Black Lotus, and Desire. The fifth card is Beacon of Destruction, <laughs> which is Red Red 5. And it does 5 damage to target player or creature, 
and says shuffle back into your library. So you have four Minds Desire copies on the stack. You flip over the last card of your library, Beacon of Destruction, five damage to their head, shuffles back, review, the next Minds Desire copy resolves, five damage to their head, so you do 20 damage. Mm-hmm. Um, later, when Research and Development was, was printed, you replaced the Beacon of Des- Destruction with Research and Development, and you put, like, Yog Will and Tendrils mm-hmm. in the pile. So you flip over Yog Will, and you flip over Tendrils. You Tendrils them. Then you Yog Will replaying the Lotus and the Dark Ritual and Tendrils them again. Mm-hmm. Or something like that, you know? But that kill required you, if they countered the Ancestral, you're dead. Mm-hmm. If they shuffle your library, you're dead. <laughs> if they have, like, an Arcane Lab in play, you're dead. Ether Sworn Canonist. Basically, nothing could happen to the configuration you'd set up for you. Or else you would just lose. Yes, or else you lose. Nothing could go wrong. Not only do you not kill them, you lose the game. (laughs) (laughs) There's a big difference. (laughs) I mean, it's like, it's, yeah, I mean, like, it's okay to say I fail to win, but, like, actually, you actually just scoop. Right, it's not like a random mid-game Yawgmoth will, if they counter it, you just keep playing. (laughs) Yeah, you're done. You have no library. It's very Razor's Edge. Yeah. Even the later Doomsday kills, I mean, up until this kill, every single Doomsday kill has been a Tendril's kill. Mm Mm-hmm. You have to get up to a certain amount of storm, and that just exposes you to enormous amounts of disruptive options. I mean, a simple mental misstep on your ancestral can cause you to lose a game. This card, first of all, it's a compact kill. It's not like you have to desire into something or yog well into something. All that stuff is out. You just have to resolve this guy. This card, guy and empty your library as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So... Basically, all you need to do is play... And if you have a gush in hand, you win immediately. If you don't, you can win next turn. Mm -hmm. The standard kill with this guy that I came up with... Like, I don't... Did we, we did we talk about this in our in our last podcast? Didn't we? We I don't remember if we talked. I think about I did. I think I game. had the first. I think I had a, one pile and we talked about it. Okay. But the the kill is you. The standard pile without gush in hand is you set up ancestral recall, then gush, then black lotus, laboratory maniac, and then yogmas will. So what you do is you draw the ancestral recall and you ancestral recall into gush, lotus, and maniac, mm-hmm. and then you play the lotus and then you play the maniac. And then you play Gush and win the game. Mm-hmm. Because you draw the Yawgmoth's Will and you can't draw a second card. And then you win. But here's the here's the great thing about it. If they counter the Ancestral Recall, then you just next turn Gush into the Lotus and the Maniac mm-hmm. and play it. And if they counter the Maniac or destroy the Maniac, then next turn you play Yawgmoth's Will and play the Maniac and Gush and Ancestral yourself and win. So mm-hmm. it's got this built-in resilience. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of ways to actually build it. You can actually, if you have enough mana, you don't need the Lotus... You can put, like, a duress in that slot. I call that slot the hot spot because <laughs> it changes depending upon the configuration. Mm-hmm. But basically, you can put in multiple counter magic in the pile depending on what you have in your hand. It's a very resilient kill. They counter the first draw spell, whatever. They counter the second draw spell. You just keep going mm-hmm. until you get there. So if you're playing a game against another blue-playing opponent and perhaps they chose, for rightly or not, they chose to allow Doomsday to resolve. Right. But you look over and they've got seven cards in their hand and a couple of land out. <laughs> well, so you probably thinking, wouldn't play Doomsday in that scenario. Well, but, but, yeah. but, but I'm saying is you have the option now of right. saying, look, I can still win through. I can win through three got. or four counter spells. If, you've right. just got, if you're down to one or two cards, well, maybe it's not two cards, but if you're down to just a few cards in your right. hand, you can put in multiple disruption Absolutely. cards in here. I mean, if you, want, through. if you want, you could set up something like this. You could set up Gush... This is something that really, can be really powerful. You could, if you have like a um, a lot of mana, let's say, or a fast mod in play, you can set up gush, gush, duress, 
duress, maniac. Mm-hmm. And so you, your first gush, let, let's you know, the, a lot of times people aren't are going to let the gush resolve because mm-hmm. they think, well, what do I care? So you gush, you gush into another gush and a duress. Yeah. You duress them, you play the next duress. You duress them again, you play the maniac. Right. And then you know, win next so, turn. So that's a stack that has a disruption spell in it to go with whatever you were holding. Right. It's very resilient to counters, but it's also deceptive. Right. It's it's you can and you can jockey for position with information with your opponent. Right. It just affords you so many more options. It it simplifies it. I mean, the old doomsday piles were so difficult. You had to figure out. <laughs> I mean, like. You know, every single Doomsday Pile changed depending upon what your opponent had, what mana you had. You know, like, there were Brainstorm Piles that, that changed depending upon the number of cards you had in your hand and mm-hmm. the number of mana you had available. <laughs> like, this one is just so simplified. All you have to do is play Resolve Laboratory Maniac. And even if, you know, there are a couple turns because they have counter spells where mm-hmm. they don't do anything, it's okay. They're not going to win. I mean, you can even, for example, this extreme example... <laughs> You can go, for example, like, um, let's say you have Gush on top, the Gush resolves, and you play, like, Laboratory Maniac, and you have the Yog Yog Will underneath, right? The last card in your library. And they have, like, just tinkered for Darksteel Colossus. You can actually block the Darksteel Colossus Colossus with your Maniac, then next turn Yog Will it back and win. (laughs) I mean, so... I mean, it's, it's really amazing. I think the most incredible... One of the most incredible situations I saw was, like... I think I set up Gush. I set up Gush and then a Counterspell and maybe another Gush and then like a Blue Spell, Blue Spell. Yeah. And I had Double Force in my hand and they let the first Gush resolve, which immediately powered up both of my forces. And then I was able to, you know, in hand, it's just, you can just really go nuts with it. I mean, and, and you just put a Duress or a Flusterstorm in the stack mm-hmm. and it's very hard for them to stop you. So this deck definitely preys on the other blue decks in the format. With all your disruption, what do you think about its other matchups then? So the dredge matchup is fantastic. Um, you have all this disruption, incredible sideboard plan, and you have a, like a potential turn three or earlier kill. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the workshop matchup is was really weak. And the the first list I I had had fourteen lit, lit mana main deck and four dark rituals, and was a stronger workshop matchup. But I decided, and it has two Hercules Recall main deck. So I just, but I decided to really devote my sideboard plan to workshops, and that's where cards like Teferi's Realm come into play. Mm-hmm. So I have Hercules Recall and Teferi's Realm, and Teferi's Realm, for those of you who don't know, is <laughs> well, you want it's me to blue, cover that? It's a go ahead. <laughs> Teferi's Realm is an enchant world. It's blue, blue one, and it says at the beginning of each player's upkeep, they choose land, creature, artifact, or enchantment. The chosen permanent type phase out. All of the permits of yes. that type phase out. And for those of you who uh, you know, haven't played with phasing, which is probably a lot of you, <laughs> phasing just means the card's basically removed from game, although that's right. not what they call it, but it's a basically exiled until the until its owner's next, next untap, up, step. untap step, at which point it comes back into play. It's not upkeep, it comes back during untap. And it also doesn't remove any counters or enchantments on the card. It's a very strange form of exile. Are you sure it's the next owner's or the next untap step? No, it's the owner's. Okay, yeah, so lands down. My cards don't come in on your right. turn. That's yeah. right, that's right. Yeah. So anyway, the point of Teferi's Realm is that if you can you can aggressively cast it, and it's an enchantment, so it's very difficult for workshops to deal with. And then every one of your turns you can just choose to phase out artifacts, right. 
which is effectively like getting a free Hercules recall every right. turn. You get to cast your spells unmolested. unmolested. So yeah, so the the rationale. I mean, the workshop's the worst matchup by far. And the idea here is to have a two pronged plan. One is to go Hercules recall into um, Hercules recall their board as a reactive strategy, and then try and win. You know, basically untap and win mm-hmm. with Doomsday or the Yogmas will and the Tendrils plan, Gushmon plan. Or Teferi's Realm. And the, the advantage of Teferi's Realm is it's sort of like you described as a Hercules Recall. I think it's kind of closer to Trigon Predator because Trigon Predator is one of those proactive cards you play. And mm-hmm. people don't really get Trigon Predator. <laughs> Trigon Predator is good because you can play it on... If you have an opening hand that has Force of Will and yeah. you have a single Mox, yeah. you can play just get in, turn two. Tr- turn two, and then just, it wins the game. Yeah. It's the same thing with Teferi's Realm. All you need to do is just play it, and then you can develop at a normal pace. I mean, you can go like Teferi's Realm, pass the turn... They do whatever they want to do. Go mm-hmm. nuts. Untap. <laughs> phase out your board. Yeah. You know, and then, and then, um, and then basically you can do little things like ponder, right. preordain, gush. Set know, up a vampir DT. Set up vampir DT. So your strategy against workshops. I mean, I'll have. I have to admit, this is a doomsday deck, but it's really just as much a gush tendrils deck. I mean, it's in at least half of my games. I won with fast gushmon. Right. The tendrils. Yeah, it's important to note that aside from Cobras, this deck has everything that a standard Gushbond engine right. deck would have. Right. And you can just win out of nowhere without ever seeing yeah. Doomsday or needing it. So your main plan against workshops is you want to either resolve the Teferi's Realm and just develop into a, into either the Doomsday. You can just Doomsday unmolested. I mean, mm-hmm. if you resolve Teferi's Realm, next turn let's Doomsday Gush and win the game. Mm-hmm. It's important to note, players... Playing with Teferi's Realm is a very unusual scenario against workshops. I mean, it's the sort of thing that basically never comes up in any other combination. Workshop decks, at least the traditional builds, are not actually that fast at killing you. Yes. Slash Panthers are rapid, don't yes. get me wrong. And if they get a Lodestone and a Slash Panther, it can be fast. Right. But you're not threatened to be dead the following turn right. in most cases. And all you need is a, is a Doomsday and either Gush, Preordain, you know, any of those spells, and you can just win that turn. With, once Teferi's Realm is in play, it's very rare that they can just set up and threaten you within a turn or two. Yes. And so you have time. Yes. The alter- and if you don't want to go that route, then you can just, you know, unmolested. I mean, imagine you just sit there and goldfish. Yeah. How fast can you win goldfishing? Right. Pretty fast. And yeah. that's exactly what Teferi's Realm does. Yeah. It allows you just goldfish. If you can't goldfish, then your next best plan is to Hercules Recall. And the Hercules Recall plan is basically... You know, you develop some land, they're doing some stuff, you Hercules recall them, and you try and win on the spot. Usually with, like, Tutor into the Fast Bond, Gush, in, then Tutor into Yogg-Will, mm-hmm. win. Mm-hmm. Ten, you know, and you cast Tendrils. Um, so you have really strong plans, um, you know, and you have the mana to do it. The problem is that you're a dog game one, and so you've got to win both games, and you yeah. also have to play real tight. Yeah. And the deck definitely rewards study and practice. <laughs> yes, you need practice. In fact, I lost in the top eight because I did not have enough post-board practice. Yeah. Um, I had Teferi's Realm in play, and my opponent had both Magus of the Moons and Artifacts. I mm-hmm. need to get rid of both. And I had developed the plan, but my plan was Hercules him on his end step. Mm-hmm. Well, he phased out all my lands. But the reason, <laughs> you know, this seems well obvious, right? The problem was the first time he phased it out, he phased out the enchantment. Yeah. So I thought, okay, he's going to do that again. And of course, he figured out it's better to phase out my lands. Yeah, he phased out his lands in doing so too. It, it's, it applies to all players. It's important to note. Yes. He already had a board presence, and he realized yes. that he'd rather not you disrupt him on his turn. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. He so did the one thing that would it, cut you off. Had I known he would do that, I would have won that game <laughs> because I had the mind tutor vamp, you know, and I could have I would have just tutored for the lotus because mm-hmm. I had Yogg Will in my hand, <laughs> and then you know, 
Yeah. Let him do his thing. You can thing. still win on the next turn. Yes, win on the next turn. Stefano's Realm is very strong in Doomsday. But uh, the weak matchup is Workshops. It's very strong against everything else. I and you like... got two. you got a two-pronged game plan. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to stop both. I feel like this deck is, is a legitimate contender. I mean, I, if you practice with it... I was, I was just thinking, there for any of you out there who play Vintage regularly, and especially if you're playing blue decks regularly, you can look at different blue decks and pick them up with your... With your combined and your assumed knowledge of the format, you mm-hmm. can pick up a Bob deck or a Jace deck or a Tez deck, learn the mechanics, and kind of intuit your way through it. This deck does not reward that kind of approach. You really need to study. And Steve, give the example of how well, many lists you wrote up of Doomsday that's true. stacks. I, I came up with over 20 Doomsday stacks. But actually, I think that the more difficult thing, I mean, in the vast majority of situations, it's it's going to be pretty... You're going to pull out very quickly. Yeah. You're going to pull out Maniac, Lotus, Yogg-Will, Ancestral. and Ancestral. Yeah. And, and and if you don't have a Gush in your hand, a Gush. You know, and you're just going to take one of those cards out for something else. I actually think the harder skill is knowing how to play the Gush Bond engine. Really? Because that's the more important thing here. The most difficult questions are going to be like, when do you Gush? You know, and, and you, it basically follows the Gush Bond logic. Like, if you're a good Gush player, you're going to be good with this. This is a Gush deck. Yeah. This might be the best Gush deck in the format. In fact, is it the only gush deck in the top eight? Yours are the only gushes in the top eight, which is very interesting. Appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> That's a plug for my understanding gush book. Uh-huh. Uh, um, I, I see where you're getting at, though, because this deck, you you sometimes need to switch gears between Doomsday and Gush. Right. Even mid-turn. Right. And it the simplest thing, like what mana you floated when you gushed, well, me, will, will d- well, let determine me you your options. Suppose you have two lands in play, and it's turn three, mm-hmm. and you're holding Gush, and you're holding Doomsday. Yeah. That's a perfect time to play Gush. If you have no more lands in your hand, it's a very natural thing to say, I'm going to Gush here, yep. you know, float blue-black, maybe, blue-black, <laughs> probably because you have duresses and thought seizes. So I'll float blue-black, and I'll draw two cards, I'll replay a land, I'll get max value, I'll be ahead in card advantage on my opponent, yep. and, you know, just progress towards a, me- a critical mass endgame, mm-hmm. which is usually like Fastball and Moss will. But, if you draw one more land, you can Doomsday and Gush, or <laughs> you can float Black Black, return the two lands, play a land and Gush, and then win next turn mm-hmm. after, you, you know, after casting Doomsday now. So, so you've you got three legitimate endgames that come from just that starting point. Yes. And only your experience with the deck and your read of the situation of your opponent, right. of course... We'll, we'll tell you how to proceed. Right. And if, if as soon as you tap those two lands for mana, you're... you're committing to one You're plan. committing to... Well, you're at least cutting off one. Doomsday, I would say. yeah. Yeah. If you don't pull black-black, you're turning off the Doomsday <laughs> play on that turn. Right. But if you pull blue-black, or if you pull two blue, you may be cutting yourself off of certain endgame combinations, too. If you're planning... If you're expecting to draw duresses, for example, it's very tricky. Yes. Um, I think this deck rewards a lot of study. Not just experience with the format, but, but actual a lot of study. I do think people can just go into a tournament and and not be overly concerned about the laboratory maniac piles. <laughs> I mean, I think that I think that you can. Um, I think, in fact, that actually might be better for the psychological well-being of the player. You know, <laughs> just not to be overly concerned because it just doesn't come up that much. You know, the unique piles and. Um, you but wouldn't you say that you might have... be the difference between but here's the th- a tournament winning performance? Maybe, but here's the thing. This is what's so what's so amazing about it. You can screw up the piles. You can screw up the ordering. All you have to do is res- resolve one card. <laughs> a 2-2 creature, you know, it's like, and just deck. And so you can give your opponent an additional turn. You know, you can mess up the, ca- the order. 
as long it just has so much built-in resilience mm-hmm. that you're still going to be okay a lot of the time. I just think I think that the the most difficult decision, the most difficult decision I think period is deciding when to play Doomsday. When to play Doomsday, yeah, yeah, and that's that's the key. And I I tend to err on the side of uh, drawing out the game. Which is counterintuitive because you think this is a combo deck you want to win early. Yeah. But here's the biggest kicker of all. While Gush is the primary source of card advantage, this deck is killer in virtual card advantage. Yeah. It only has 17 mana, which is, <laughs> may look like the greediest mana base of all time. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> but it's, it's basically a grow mana base and has the grow principle of, I'm going to top deck relevant cards more than you. Mm-hmm. You know, and so most the, of them are going to cost one. Most of them are going to be fluster storms <laughs> and mental missteps. And so, the longer the game goes against a blue deck, the more advantaged you actually are. Yeah, which means you can afford to take it slow. You can afford to take it slow. I mean, if I even <laughs> I baited Yogmoth's will in one game, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and but you can bait Doomsday's. Like, let them counter a Doomsday. I mean, if you want, if you are concerned, right? <laughs> that they, I mean, if they're smart, they're going to learn to counter the Doomsday. Yeah. You know, but you got a long game and you don't really have to worry about much. The only matchup you have to worry about is workshops, which is why I was so frustrated that I had to play the one workshop player in the first round of the top eight. Not only was he workshops, but he's like the nightmare workshop matchup with right. Magus of the Moon. Right. Which cuts off my, my gush engine. I mean, every single one of those other decks I would have loved to have played, beginning with the dredge deck. Mm-hmm. I would have very much enjoyed that matchup. Well, so Doomsday is here to stay again, at least for a while, until they print something else that's insane. <laughs> Unless less people until start pe- people begin to play Archive Trap. <laughs> I don't know. We'll know. see. So the only other thing I have about this top eight is another Innistrad card. Since this is the first post Innistrad event, we see in the second place workshop deck we see Witchbane Orb times three in the sideboard. Now, you and I debated this one a little bit, and I don't think this card's actually really that good at what it does, but it's in there. He made second place. It legitimately cuts off things like Oath, Hercules Recall, Tendrils, so has plenty of application inside of this top eight, even. Right. Do you think that card is going to be a staple in Workshop sideboards? I talk about that card a lot in my um, Vintage Set review. I think my top four cards were the Stony Silence, which 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 was in the ninth place deck. Oh, oh yeah. Stony Silence made an appearance in this event. Um, Witchbane Orb and obviously Snapcaster Mage and Maniac. Um, I think that Witchbane Orb is better than Eon Hub. And there's two reasons for that. One, Eon Hub costs five. Mm -hmm. So you really need to get this in play in turn one or two to stop oaths for sure. Mm -hmm. And I also think that cards like Smokestack and Tanglewire, especially Tanglewire, are really important. And I think that Eon Hub is just not good in that. I th- actually, I think in my set review I say Eon Hub, my predict Eon Hub will disappear permanently as a result of this. Like, I think Witchbane Orb is just a card that will displace it. Okay. I think the nearest competitor is, is Leyline of Sanctity. And I think, again, Witchbane Orb is just better mm-hmm. than Leyline of Sanctity, which we played with. Yeah. So I think that unless people want to play, like, the eight Leyline sideboard plan, <laughs> Witchbane Orb is just better. And Witchbane Orb is better... Like Leyland, because it hits Hercules and this other stuff. Right. There's some, some splash damage there. Right. And because it's faster. it should, Being faster matters. Yeah. You can play it on turn one with more reliability. 
All right. Anything else on the Mana Drain Open? It was just an incredible. The four cards you mentioned. Yeah. If you go down to top to ninth place, which had green white beats, was it green white beats? Yeah. If you green go down to ninth beats. place, then all, the top four cards from your Innistrad set review were featured in in one or more decks, which is awesome. Yeah. Not a lot of them. It was very diverse. Yes. I mean, there was one Witchbane Orb deck, one Maniac deck, two Snapcaster decks, and then ninth place has a Stony Silence. So what is the metagame going to look like going forward? <sighs> Snapcaster's here to stay. Snapcaster seems huge. Dredge is not going anywhere. Workshops... Were there we more were... Snapcasters than Bobs or the same amount? No, there were slightly more Bobs because the uh, Bob Tendrils deck... Oh, hold on. There's the same amount, aren't there? Seven. Oh, seven and seven. You're right. Bob Tenderstack only has three bobs. Yeah, so seven and seven. Bob's still here to stay. I mean, people are going to continue to play with that guy. Jace is here to stay, although his numbers are not well represented in this top eight. I don't have it right in front of me. There's two there. There's none in Mike's deck. There's none in yours. There's two in mine. It looks like there's five or six Jace. If I, unless I'm missing over one. one two. Yeah, I think there's only. I think there's only five. Yeah. yeah. So Jace got a little it's bit just, of a decline. The form but, is so diverse. But it's partially because of what decks made the the top eight here. The Bob Tendrils deck doesn't. But what's not diverse is mental misstep and Flusterstorm. <laughs> <laughs> no. We see Flusterstorms here, yeah. Yeah. So I mean it looks like the metagame is gonna be very diverse going forward. There's lots of options, which is great. I, I mean, just yeah, I just don't see how we're gonna see anything other than more of this. <laughs> more of this. Top eights featuring four or well, five or six maybe different blue decks. And then a couple of colorless decks and some green-white beats. I think this is probably more bobs than I expected. I think we should see more gushes. I mean, gush has dominated vintage champs. Gush was everywhere at the event, and for some reason or another, it didn't make top eight that much. But there were a couple I of Cobra decks. There were a couple of more Bob Gush decks. And, and Gush is that is that problem of not working well with Snapcaster Mage. Yeah. Which means that we're actually going to have, you know, Bob decks, Gush decks, and Snapcaster decks. Right. Then with various interactions of. Jace and Tezzeret and maybe Knight's Whisper and a few other things. As for last episode's question of the week, now that Factor Fiction's unrestricted, what is the best, most unrestrictable card in Vintage? I think you and I are in agreement on Burning Wish. That card was restricted back as part of the Grim... Not the Grim Long. The Burning Long deck when you would use it to effectively be playing uh, four Yawgmoth's Wills in your deck as well as doubling as your kill. Uh, that's just completely outmoded by today's standards. There's so many more and faster and better things to be done that Burning Wish would see zero play at unrestricted status. I can't even imagine the circumstances in which I would want four Burning Wish. Yeah. Uh, there's... It's garbage. There are some players out there who might be able to brew up a toolbox-style deck, but sorceries are not the way to go <laughs> in this day and age. That wouldn't even be good with Snapcaster made. Yeah, exactly. So I think Burning Wish, uh, if any of you feel differently, be sure to let us know. And as for our next question of the week, Steve, what do you think? Well, since there were only one Gush deck in the top eight, but Gush has been a major player over mm-hmm. the last couple months in a variety of options. There's the Shay Gush deck, mm-hmm. my Bob Gush, and then Cobra Gush, which was popular on the day. Mm-hmm. Don't forget Oath. And Oath, you know, Tyrant Oath. Which Gush deck going forward will be the strongest in the metagame? You've got quite the diversity of ways to play Gush now, mm-hmm. especially now with the advent of Doomsday. <laughs> yeah, more than a handful. 
Let us know what you think. Send us your answers. You can send us via Twitter at many insane plays or email so many insane plays podcast. Until next time, thank you for listening, and we wish you many insane plays. Enough gay for the game! <laughs> <laughs>